Welcome to the Previously Rock Hounding podcast, where we explore the world of rock hounding and lapidary from the ye olden days of the 1970s and 80s through the lens of vintage issues of Rock and Gem magazine. This is episode 14. We're looking at Rock and Gem magazine from January 1978. If you're a new listener here, the way this works is I read the issue. Sarah reads the issue, we don't discuss it at all, and we come together here on the podcast and share our thoughts on it. We kind of broke that this time. We, we did, just a, not, slightly. Not a lot, because this was not either of ours favorite issue. It definitely stood out uh, across the board as being different than the previous 13 issues that we've read. Is that fair Dif- to say? Or? Yes, but you're putting it very nicely to say it was different. There was some things that were not as good, and the content was different too, which not in a way that caught our interest, I guess. <laughs> we will be getting into all of that here shortly. But before we get into the articles and the columns, there are a couple of ads in this issue that I thought were pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an ad from a company called Mayflower Lapidary Tools, and they were selling a preformer that can attach to a flat lap or a cab machine for $65, which is $295 in today's money, and it came with eight different cam shapes. Do you know what a, a preformer is? Not really. So, like, imagine you have a a rock slab, and you traced your stencil onto it, and you cut it out. This thing has shapes like ovals, uh, teardrops, whatever, and it will automatically rough out, grind that shape for you. Okay. So you could set this up on a machine, and then you're just like, hit the start button, basically, and it will do all of the rough cabbing for you um this is something i've kind of looked into lately i saw a video on youtube of somebody running one of these duplicators kind of like more think more small scale duplicating there's huge duplicating operations overseas and that's Mm -hmm. how they can make stuff in such abundance with uh such high high quality but you don't usually see them i think really anymore like None of the big manufacturers are putting out duplicators, really. I know Highland Park has a forming machine, but it's like a giant standalone thing. I thought this was neat that it just, it like, clamps on to other things, huh. which is kind of kind of neat. I mean, you know, if there's ever a machine that could kind of, like, pay for itself, something that is fully automated and you load up your cutouts and it just, like, spits out shapes rough ground shapes i think that would be that would be kind of it you know like uh generally i would say like machines don't pay for themselves but it's a neat uh a neat idea of having something like that i didn't see that ad it was a it was a it was a little one it was a little one but i thought it was kind of good um, I thought there's a, there's one ad that we, it's not the first time we've seen it. It's advertising. It says men, women make precious jewelry, start in spare time at home. 
So it's advertising like make money, making jewelry, and they're they're like example. They had some examples of what you can make and how much you could sell it for, and they're like jade earrings in fourteen karat gold. Sell it for two hundred dollars. Your profit one hundred and fifty dollars. But they also had a little uh, box of text that said. Because this jewelry making course is new, we do not yet have graduates who have made the earnings shown here, but the pieces pictured were actually made by the executive director of Jewelry Design Center. The values shown are correct in the best judgment of the executive director. <laughs> like, wait. Mm. I detect uh, something wrong here. <laughs> I thought it was weird that they would even say that. I, I guess good on them for being honest. Yeah. But, but why even bother being like, yeah, nobody's ever done this before, and we don't know if it's going to sell, but that's our best guess. Like, what a weird that, that's a weird disclaimer. I think that's a weird way of putting it, for sure. Um, I don't, that one didn't, I didn't. We've I, seen it before. Yeah. And it's always like, men, women, jewelry making at home, make money. It's always like a, I think it's a half page. If they're. I'm going to go back to what I said about the Mayflower lapidary tools in that if you wanted to have something where you're like, make, increase your production while making cabochons. Yeah, that's probably a safer bet than learning to make jewelry at home. Yeah. And do, do you already know how to make things, but you want to uh, double your production rate? Buy this tool. Yeah. I could see that. Like, sure, that would be that would be a, a fantastic. So one thing, I don't know if we've talked about this in previous episodes. Maybe we did right at the beginning. Um, but in almost every single issue of Rock and Gem, Diamond Pacific, uh, the tool manufacturer, they re- usually have either like a half-page ad or even a full-page ad. And I don't think I've talked about them a whole lot. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, they had a full page, full page ad in this issue, selling the six inch Genie machine, which is a six wheeled, uh, six inch cab machine, which uh, was five hundred and ninety eight dollars. Which, if you adjust it for inflation, that's two thousand seven hundred and twenty two dollars mm-hmm. in nineteen seventy eight. Um, how much do you think the exact machine costs today? Eight hundred dollars? I have two, no idea. <laughs> two thousand seven hundred and ninety dollars. Uh, well, that's pretty good. So they basically it's it stayed the exact same price from nineteen seventy eight till today. Of course, I don't know if their prices fluctuated wildly in the nineties. I have no clue. Hmm. But I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. It's pretty spot on as far as uh, staying true to their their pricing. Huh. Um, which I thought that was kind of yeah. kind of neat. Uh, there was an ad in here, and it's like a little, what, I don't know, real small ad, and it says, over a period of 25 years, I have been collecting gemstones, ruby, sapphire, rhodolite, in western North Carolina, 15 to 25 years ago before the boom. 
Due to the great abundance I have acquired over these years, and the fact that there was no overhead to speak of in collecting these stones, I'm offering a grab bag package of uncut gemstones, along with instructions for cutting, orienting, and the art of polishing corundum. Satisfaction guaranteed. $5 per package. I wonder if that's real. Is it really like some guy who like, has 25 years of collecting and they're just like, I got too much. Take out an ad. $5 a bag. I'll ship it. I'm, or is it just like a nice story to be like, oh, look at that. Old, some old guy's getting I could rid s- of his stuff. I could see somebody with giant piles in their backyard doing exactly that. Yeah. I mean, there's kind of the modern version of that that people post on Craigslist where they'll have like a backyard full of piles of rock and they like stick a little sign in it. And it's like, this pile's a dollar a pound. This pile's $3 a pound. Yeah. And you just have to make an appointment to go look at their heaps of rock. So yeah. possibly, po- I, I mean, know. you know, like. That's good on that guy for getting his collection into the hands of other people and not just collecting dust in his backyard yeah that's that's that is kind of a nice yeah ad. yeah i saw my first ad, i've been kind of looking for one of these ads i saw my first ad for from hillquist which is a company they mostly sold slab saws but their slab saws were really unique that i they stand out to me when i i see them today uh because you just don't see anything like this they had the housing for the slab saw was fiberglass and the lid was a big plastic bubble so it was like the most 70s looking thing uh hillquist they made other tools but specifically the slab saws you don't see a lot of them around because they're plastic fiberglass and plastic uh covered in oil or other you know somebody like a shard of something and now it's got a scratch yes they didn't they didn't stand the test of time uh I was a little surprised at the price breakdown um, of their saw. The saw was $465. Mm-hmm. They have a table for the saw. That's $40. A coolant system is $70. The motor cord and switch were $82.50. Hmm. So all, you're buying all these things separate. They had a blade for $68, which... By today, by today's standards, that's still that's like you're approaching mod. I I can get on Kingsley North website or Kingsley North's website and buy a 14 inch blade for my saw for that price. Yeah. So um, and uh, by the way, we are speaking about they call it their 14 or 16 inch saw. Okay. So Same you know, um, they also had a charge called a craft charge i'm not exactly sure what craft charge like meant a building fee like they built it i have no clue but that was 20 bucks <laughs> so uh for a 14 inch saw the total came to 745 dollars and 70 cents or three thousand three hundred and ninety one dollars in today's money which that is yeah that's a lot of money for someone to Spend through an ad in a magazine. Yes. I feel like that's a lot. That's definitely a lot. The ad also said it had a magic brain auto feed, uh, which is just a little tiny gear motor that would push your vice into the blade, the same as all the other ones. But it's a magic brain. 
yeah, and there I do have one more little thing that wasn't really an ad, but there's like I think some dead space on a page, uh-huh. and they just had it in a little box. Perform a death-defying act. Exercise regularly. We talked about that. I know, but they just used it again. It was just like a little yeah. dead space, and they were like, put this in there. Yeah. It's not like, but it wasn't sponsored by I like. I know. It's that's just a, right. That was like, I think that was last issue. We had the same one. Like, there's all these, the charities, like United Way, they're very cryptic almost i think that one's american heart association but it doesn't say american heart association i don't think no. but there's uh, there's like another ad from american heart association there was one in this one for st jude research hospital and it just it said please help children live <laughs> and and it said send contributions to and it, all it said was the address just said st jude research hospital memphis tennessee 38101 can you really send money with just a name and a zip code? I mean, I guess yes. the post office note, like, yeah. how do they know which department in the hospital to, like, give it to? Whoever opens the mail. Does that one person opening all the mail? <laughs> like, I don't know. It, does that just was, like, a simpler time when I you guess. just put a name and a zip code and you're just like, good enough. The They'll post, figure it out. Yeah. Mm. I thought that was funny. Did you have any other ads? Nope. There was one thing that I think uh, should mention. That on the back of this magazine, on one of the ads, there's a big black spot. Like, there's a big printing error. Oh. Uh, just, like, covering up. Like, I don't know if they, like, mistakenly, like, spilled a bunch of, like, ink in the printing of it. But I, it's definitely not, like, a after the fact. It's just, like, covering up a bunch of an ad. That's bad. I didn't even notice. Which... You imagine you paid for the ad, yeah. and then you're just like, oh, like a large portion of this just has a big black <laughs> splotch over it. I'm sure they would give you your money back or rerun your ad. Yeah. It did seem like this issue was a little bit, the quality control was maybe a little lower than normal. Like, there's like a, they didn't look through it, and they're just like, random ink splot, go to press, like print it. Yeah. Like, there was. I felt like there was more typos than usual. There were some layouts that were just just not good. Like nobody like proofed it or edited it, um, which made reading it a little less enjoyable. The content for this issue, which it, it says on the cover, special section, Egypt's legacy. They really did not portray how much of a section this was that was going to be. There's a lot of Egypt stuff in this. So I'd be curious if anyone was like 10 in 1978, if they remember, because like, so, so there's a, we're going to get into about five articles about Egypt and Egyptian jewelry and stuff because. 1977-78, there was a King Tut exhibit that was traveling around museums. And it was like New York, Seattle, Chicago, New Orleans, L.A. And so that's kind of the, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if like it was really popular and Rock and Gem was like, let's capitalize on this like Egypt craze and make a 
write a bunch of articles or or it's the museum like I, I I wasn't why al- they made this decision I would want, like to know I wasn't alive in 1978 <laughs> but I have watched a lot of movies from that era and there are like you'll see uh, jewelry and like styling mm-hmm. similar to what was in this issue in movies so there was definitely like a it was like a heightened awareness in popular culture and media Hollywood. I think there was a little bit more influence at that point in time. But was there enough to justify what five articles, like the main content of this magazine? Before we get into all of these articles, we have some columns that we need to discuss. Oh, I forgot about the columns. So the glory hole, which is the editor's column, he mentioned his hike to the top of Mount Whitney, which is a super, super tall mountain. And I would love to go to the top of Mount Whitney. Uh, he mentioned that basically it was like not all field trips are going to be productive. Yeah. There's just like, yeah, we went up here and we didn't really find. But it's also like, oh, you just get a greater understanding yeah. of the land. Yeah. So I thought that was just yeah. kind of nice. Like that's something that we do. And sure. is neat and kind of a little short little short little thing um the frantic fumbler is always a little wacky and this is up to their name yeah (laughs) this one uh stayed true to that so he talked about his desire to add stone handles to his keys Stone handles to his keys. And I'm trying to like imagine what yeah, that actually looks like. Yeah, I couldn't really. So he described his process, but it still wasn't very like clear what the finished project was going to look like. But you know, the, like the there's the portion of the key that you'd insert into like a lock. Sure. The handle being the part that you like. You touch. You touch your index yeah. and thumb would go on. Taking that and making like an ultra thin slab and polishing it up and like gluing it to it so that like it's like you have a keychain of like all these like polished uh-huh. rocks. And I'm like, I don't know how practical that would be. I mean, wouldn't that just make your you keys file down like the head of the key first so you're not adding much bulk? Which didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah I had a hard time imagining what he was doing. Well, he did mention that it was like a thin veneer. So that's why yeah. I was thinking he's gluing it to the top of it. Right. And then he went on to describe some other things like the not like the knobs on your radio. Yeah. You could like have a thin veneer of rock that you'd glue to that flat face of a knob. Uh so that's yeah. that's a aspect a thing that you could do that was it, it a thing or was it a build-up to a punchline and what was that punchline sarah well he was talking about you're gonna he was like you can do your radio button knobs your tv your cabinet pulls your car window hand like handle like veneer everything but then they're gonna and what if you well, what will people say if you do this too much Got the venereal disease. But I'm dumb. Yes. So I don't know if it was a really long build up to a punchline or he really wanted to do <laughs> these things because 
he immediately followed it with another punchline, which I don't think he was really suggesting, which the buildup was got a rock with like an amazing picture in it, like a picture Jasper, put it in your copy machine and take a pic like copy of it so you can show everybody. And then would you say that is a Xerox? Uh, was that the punchline? It was not quite like that. It's not as good. <laughs> so I, I don't think he was really <laughs> suggesting you make a photocopy of your rocks. No. So I don't know. Was he really suggesting you glue rocks to the top of your keys? I don't know. Because he was also with the keys, he was like, don't forget, you're going to have to have a hole where your keychain goes through. So if you don't want to put a hole in your tiny slab, just cut it smaller. That's really small. Yes. I mean, maybe keys looked different in 1978. Well, I mean, you, uh, I mean, I, I, I had a ni- 1983 Volvo 240 DL, and the key on that, like the actual uh, portion that you would twist on, was rather large. I mean, car keys are normally larger. Yeah. Than like a house key. I don't know. Well, one last column to talk about, and that is the shop talk. And this shop talk was all about cutting really, really thin slabs. And there's a lot of different projects that you might want to cut really thin. So in a very roundabout way, they talked about figuring out how your cross feed on your auto feed slab saw will make different thicknesses of cuts. And they had like, they really like milked this. I felt like it it seemed like not, it seemed pretty basic. Yeah. So in a very long fashion, they talked about taking a rock, you clamp it in your vice, you, Line it up like you're going to cut all the way through, and you let it cut for like five seconds, ten seconds. And then you back it off, and maybe you twist the knob three times and do that, and then two times and do that, and one time and do that, so that you can have like a little test rock, so that you know like, oh, if I feed, you know, uh, slide the rock over after that big initial cut to cut a slab... And if I turn it once, it'll look like this. Then if I do it twice or three or four or five or six times, and then you'll have a like a little gauge almost for your saw. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah. That way you just know. And then you can cut really thin slabs because, you know, uh, like we were just talking about, like with uh, the venereal diseasing of your radio, where you want to have that thin slab that you can just apply to something or uh, clock faces, people cut thin slabs for that. Iris agates, a lot of reasons. Uh, I don't know if that really needs a shop talk thing, a shop top column for that. But yeah, um, they're generally a little bit common sense. There's been a couple that I thought were were, were pretty yeah. good, but um, onto the articles though. Onto the articles, I will say that there was several articles in this issue that were not actually listed in the index which are they normally all listed in the index yes Uh. so 
the way I set up my notes for this podcast is I look through the index and I write down all the names of the articles. So when I'm typing up my notes, I can be like, oh, I'm getting close, getting close. And then I'm like, oh, wait, they they left that out of the index. Mm. So uh, I've never paid attention to that. Well, you already I already explained Egypt. my feelings on on the theme here. What are your thoughts on Egypt? Do you love Egypt? Hate it? Indifferent? Have you ever thought about Egypt more than today? I guess I've never put too much thought into their jewelry and how they made it. So I guess that's interesting, but I didn't need five five or six articles. I, I know you can't really judge. You shouldn't judge things made thousands of years ago by today's standards, but... Uh, Looking at some of the jewelry that was made 5,000 years ago by today's standards, you're like, eh, eh. It's not like super, like, you know, I'm like. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just like, by, really... by 2022 standards, the original Egyptian jewelry would be Bush League. Can we call it Bush League? Yeah. Maybe. They really had this idea that, like, people into lapidary are going to go see the exhibit on the stuff from King Tut's tomb and get super inspired to make Egypt inspired stuff. Like that was really like, they're like, you're going to see this and you're going to be like, go out and make your own stuff. You're going to this. So let's get right into it. King Tut's legacy. The touring treasures are creating new excitement for Egyptian jewelry. Uh, which this article, which is the first kind of article about Egypt in here, uh, describes the collection of artifacts that were on tour in America, some of the background about the jewelry that was on display. The article kind of went a little in-depth into some of the symbolism of the jewelry and the symbolism incorporated in the jewelry, but they didn't say how they kind of came to that determination I mean, yeah. I think some of it is like you can maybe be like that. That's obvious. Um, I felt like was this article an ad for going to see the exhibit at the L.A. Museum? A little bit, because they mentioned that it's there and the tickets and the times and how they're going to sell the tickets because it's so popular. Are people less influenced today? By what? Just something like this. Like, I can't imagine... I can't imagine... A... This happening today. I can't imagine a situation where we have something going on tour like this, and people are inspired by it. No, I think so. Definitely. Like, I read the local, like alternative weekly paper when they put out the summer guide and the general like the yearly guide to stuff i like i was i don't read it every week but i read those two to be like is there anything cool that we could go do in our area is there any cool events going on this summer and usually the answer is no like i don't really find anything but I always... more more so like what if there is a traveling exhibit of a different culture Pick a different culture. They're like, 
the local museum's gonna their primary exhibit is gonna be local Native American stuff and not a traveling exhibit that has nothing to do with here. And I read that and be like, yeah, sure. I would go look at that. Would you then come home and duplicate I probably would, some of their... Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, would you, would you then see that thing about Native Americans in the Western United States and then try to copy their jewelry and dress? No. And then be like, cool, I'm going to like... this. I was inspired and now I'm making indigenous baskets that's, that's why i'm thinking was there like a whole craze on like egyptian stuff and this was kind of them taking advantage of that craze Perhaps. because yeah you're right i don't think you're gonna go to a museum and see a ring and be like wow i need to copy that style yeah i don't know. i don't think that's happening no. <clears throat> i thought so they did mention in this first article the that the Exhibit was going to be at the L.A. What, his, the mu- museum in L.A. And they mentioned the ticket prices, which I compared to ticket prices now. So tickets were $2 for an adult, $1 for a senior student or child, which is $9 or four fifty with inflation. How much do you think it costs for an adult to go to the museum now? Whoa, really? Yes. $25 for an adult, $21 for a senior or student. And they had different prices based on whether you live in L.A. County or not. Those are the non-L.A. County resident prices. And children are free now, so. Maybe I'm just like a cheapskate. That's a lot. $25? I feel like that's a lot. That's a lot to go to the museum. Yeah. I don't know. It's 25 versus it should be 9 based on inflation. Maybe they should have less, pay less money to have fancy exhibits like King Tut and make it more accessible. The next Egyptian article. I don't even know how you pronounce this. Yeah. Making an Anka? Ank? Ank? It's A N K H. I don't know how you add the H on it. So. It's an article describing how you make this thing. And it looks like a Christian cross, except the top is an inverted teardrop. And it's said to be the symbol of life. So it's basically like... It's a big... They're making it like a pendant to wear around your neck. Yes. So cut it out on your jeweler's bench. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Silver. Cut it out like a sheet of silver. And... Uh, make a couple of bezels and put some put some rocks or some put some yeah, polished stones on it pretty, and uh pretty simple. Your rock and your Egyptian symbol of life. There was no photo of the finished project in the article. <laughs> there wasn't. How did they I did why finish it when you can just start it? I assume they finished it, but like, why would you not lead with the finished photo of the? They're not. There wasn't finished. enough space. They had to put that thing in there about exercising. Yes. So they had to cut well, the finished I mean, product photo. This was one of those like how tos. So they're like step one, step two, and there's a photo. There's like six or seven steps. So step. The last step would be like, you're done. Here's a picture of what you're making. No. 
<laughs> so that that was not a satisfying article to read. I did like the next project. It was very different than most projects that they, you know, cut a shape out, put a rock in it. This was, was how to make a cobra bracelet. So it was kind of like a follow along. Did it have pictures? Yeah. I forgot. It, it, so it's it, like a, was it a silver? So it described how to make a bracelet of a cobra wrap. It would be like one that would wrap around your arm. Right. Uh, it had the like head at the top and the tail. One thing that I liked about this was it's obviously it's all meant to be like Egyptian. But then this article, it starts by stating that actually this style of bracelet became popular in Rome. Yeah. Or, you know, became more popular mm-hmm. in Rome than it did in Egypt. Like this, that style of having something around like a, like a snake yeah, bracelet. Yeah, like it's like wrapped around your arm. I but it's that... Egypt inspired. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, that was, it was decent. Uh, I mean, I don't have a whole lot that I can really say that one about silversmithing. That like, one, that article did talk a little bit about how ancient Egyptians made their jewelry and they found that they did this like colloidal, colloidal hard soldering, which was like using like malachite or copper to connect the metals and then they heat them up and like, oh, they only had fire and like a reed to blow into to heat things and so there's a little bit of historic information in there which i wonder how much of it's actually yeah how much much is accurate there yeah because you know i can't remember the article but i did do some research on one of the previous articles that we read where they made a lot of reference to like historical findings and stuff. Yeah. And we're like, oh, none, none of that like happened. They're all, all wrong. All their dates are wrong. Everything they said was kind of wrong. So who knows? Who knows? I didn't spend any time looking up modern, uh, like the modern study of this. So. And another Egypt-inspired project. I do have a question for you before we start into uh, the casting of Egyptian jewelry, mastering an old art. Which came first, Sarah, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. It evolved. Okay. Which came first, the article or the ad? Oh, yeah, the ad. The ad did. Because I, I, this this article yes. is an extension of an ad, actually. Yes. Uh, this was one of the fake articles, I believe. Hmm. Um, and I, I think this because in the front of the magazine, there was an ad. A full-page ad. A full-page ad selling Egyptian-style wax patterns. So, like, you know, uh, pre-sculpted pieces of wax that you could use in lost wax casting. And here we are an article on how to use those exact items. Yeah, in the article they have a picture of some of the the casting, the wax castings, and I was like, this looks familiar, and then I flipped back, what, five pages, and I was like, oh, it's like, the ad is like, here's our 15 wax casts you can get, and the article is like, here's a picture of 10 out of those 15. 
Yes. Well, uh, Lost Wax casting is a thing we've discussed extensively here. It's been lost. <laughs> Again. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I'm not a fan of the articles that are just meant to, like, sell or re... or The articles that are using a product that is obviously being sold, and it's just kind of like the the print version of an infomercial. It's yeah, the print I mean, version I, of an infomercial. I assume they got mailed the stuff, and then they're like, oh, we need an article. I know. How about we use these to make a thing? That'll be easy and quick. And then they... Yeah, I don't know. Do you think the company pays them to write the article, or the company just sends them all the materials? I don't know. I don't know. I want to try to, like, give people the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, like, there's clearly something it's going on here. Not really journalistic integrity when that product, you're making a, something with a very specific product who you're advertising with a full-page ad at the beginning of the magazine. It's, it's a little fishy. We have one last Egypt article. Yes. Update Egypt. Today's master craftsmen look back at 5,000 years. So it was an article where the author is asking master silversmiths about the influence of the Egyptian style and how they've incorporated it into their own work. Is that yeah, like was, my assessment correct? Based I mean, I, I thought it was just the author gets two craftsmen to make Egyptian-inspired pieces and then talks to them about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That. Oh, I mean, I, they kind of followed the formula for the lapidary... Uh, part of the magazine where they'll do like a how-to and you follow along and it's really basic which was that first one with the pendant and then they do a little more complex how-to follow along and then they do the wax casting which was I don't know a little more theory and and then they do a highlight on somebody's work like that's kind of how the magazine normally handles their lapidary content so it just kind of condensed it all and made it Egypt themed. They have all of the Egypt themed stuff like back to back to back. Yeah. As like the layout and they weren't intermixing some of the other stuff, which is like what we're going to talk about now. So it was like the first half of the magazine was all Egypt. And then. Well, I mean, that's what they say. Special section Egypt's legacy. It says that on the cover, which sounds to me like. One article, not five. Maybe two? But they could also be like, you read one and then a field trip. And then another Egypt one. And then maybe another field trip. Maybe we just, their design on the front cover was not clear enough. It didn't communicate what they wanted it to. Because if you really look at it, you're like, special section Egypt's legacy is in yellow. And then below it in yellow, it says ink, pendant, serpent bracelet, castings, and then all the other titles on the cover are in white. So I guess we should have read more into that yeah. or they should have used their 
design principles to communicate more clearly. I don't know if that design principles really existed the way they exist now. Well, we've seen... Well, you have that other magazine from the 70s. Is it Mineralogical Record? Yes, and it's amazing. It looks great. They definitely had design principles there. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Mineralogical Record is very good. And I love that they're advertising in Rock and Jump. Yeah. <laughs> two different audiences. Yeah. I mean, why not have two different audiences? Or you can read two magazines mm-hmm. a month. Well. We made it. Our first field trip in 1978 wait no i scratched that the first what? field trip in january, january 1978 yeah. yeah okay yeah first field trip 1978 texas spring limcasts a nevada location for agatized branches this was an interesting field trip in that it would seem to be by a couple that are not new rock hounds, but a little little new to it. Um, and they went to this location with the Golden Spike Gem and Mineral Society on a field trip. Oh, I didn't. I missed that part. And this club is still active. Huh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, they have a Facebook page and a website, and it's up to date, and it functions both wow. on a computer and a phone, which that is impressive for yes. a rock club. Many rock club websites are not mobile friendly. Um, But I I like this because this is an area we almost stopped at. Yeah, this is north east East Nevada, right by, come down through Oregon or Idaho by Jackpot. Yes, so northeast Nevada, we are a little bit south of... The border yep. there, um, Jack. So south of Jackpot, and to the east of the little tiny town of Contact, which I think uh, Contacts they might be unincorporated at this point. I believe they had a diner there that is now uh, out of business. Hmm. So I, I think the current state of the town of Contact is not great. I mean, the town of Jackpot, on their website, they have a local area rock hounding map. Mm-hmm. So clearly there's a lot to be found out there. Yes. If you want to, like, kick around the northeast Nevada desert, like, there's a bunch of cool stuff. A bunch of cool stuff. Including limb casts. Yeah. Pink limb casts. Yes. And they, it doesn't really say in the article that they were pink, but the photo clearly showed that they're pink, yeah, which is they're def- unique, which you would want to mention, I think, but they, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't really say talk about the maybe color they were a lot. new new to it and they just didn't realize the significance. But uh, yeah, and people are still finding the pink loom casts out there huh. to this day, and it's uh, generally kind of a, a. I mean, I thought it was a good good little article about it, and yeah. you know, um, I thought it was a, it was an interesting article. They didn't really talk about. I mean, they meant they did kind of mention. They went out there and like they were shocked at the huge pits people were digging in. Uh, they said the guide was digging like way down deep in like a gravel layer and was finding some pretty good stuff. They didn't really find much. They posed with a little box. That like wasn't a... their box though. That was the box of the guy digging real oh. deep. Yeah, he had the box of like a couple inch across hmm. limb casts. 
Um, but then the, they talked a little bit, and then they also talked about some, like, local lore of murders that happened, basically. That's how I like to finish out yeah. my trip reports. <laughs> We're um, going for some amazing agatized limb casts and historical murders. Yes. This article was one that I got annoyed at how they laid it out in the magazine. So as I've described before, the magazine, each page is three columns. In this article, um, in a lot of them, you know, normal magazines, it'll be like, ends on page, like, continued on page 90. So you're like skipping to the back to read the little last column. This one was on page 55 and it said continues on page 63 which is like the middle of the magazine and you go to page 63 and it's only one column page 55 was only one column they could have just put both columns on one page and then rearranged the ads a little bit and it because after the between page 55 and 63 there's another article. Yeah. Like one. <laughs> like why did they not just finish out the article before putting the new article in? The way the mineralogical record does their ads is they are all at the back of the magazine. So you have all of the articles, all the things that they want to write, they're all there. Yeah. And then you have like six ish eight pages of just straight up like advertisements which i think that's great and some of the ads are actually kind of interesting like yeah, i mean I, I, sure. I, I personally find like the ads that we find in here to be insightful yeah. and, mm -hmm. and neat like i'm not saying it's bad to have all of your ads like that but it does make the rest of the magazine more readable yeah it just it's like that, reading a, like reading a book like you've, yeah. you're like page 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 done Next thing, you know, so. Yeah, it just seemed like an oversight, like somebody didn't proof it before they went to print or press or mm -hmm. whatever the, the word would be, which, I don't, I don't know. It seems so simple, and it makes the reading experience so much better just to turn the page instead of 10 pages. Yes, I, I agree. <sighs> the next field trip, Darwin's Mind Dumps. The California Bonanza is not abandoned, just idle. Yeah, they said that a few times in the article, which, so it's a guy, the article is the guy who's like, we got Thanksgiving break, four days off, let's go somewhere. And so he tries to figure out where to go. He's like, oh, there's all these mines out here, not too far from us, let's go out there. And so he drags his family out there. Yes. I'm guessing he didn't realize that they were not abandoned was it not abandoned but idle yeah and also his 17 year old daughter's an idiot because 17 yeah she was, she was seven 17 you confirm <laughs> well basically uh the their seven or 17 year old daughter uh was like why is it so white everywhere is that like was confused by the landscape and uh no that was not snow that's Salt. Yeah, they were driving. What was it, Lake Lake Owens? Yeah. So in California, this this whole uh, she's seven. Oh. Our seven year old daughter. She should have been think smarter. This, 
Well, I, I thought, should have been smarter. I thought it's funny that they were driving. He says, as we were driving along, so he's just like, we went out, we bought a new camper, we were going to go out and do it. And then he says, and he hasn't introduced like his family, but he, he says he's going there with my wife, Darlene. That's all he mm-hmm. says. So I'm like, okay, him and his wife, and they bought a camper. And then he's like, as we're driving, the intercom from our camper began to buzz frantically. It was Gretchen, our seven-year-old daughter, wanting to know what the white stuff was. Uh, yeah, you don't get to ride in the yeah, camper like, trailer. You know, like we bought a new camper. Like, here, little kid, you go in there. Yeah. See you in five hours. I know. Like, I think uh, that's, I don't think they let you do that anymore. No. People care so much more dangerous. about I feel like people care a lot about their kids more today than they did in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. I, I did all kinds of reckless stuff as a little kid in the 80s. Uh, uh, but so, then he lets her eat the salt. He tells her to taste it. That's funny. So the Darwin Mine is located in Owens Valley, which isn't too far from Death Valley National Park. And they kind of went there in search of Criscola, pyrite, calisite, lemonite. Your typical mine tailings. Yeah, well, it was a copper mine. Copper mine tailings. And... If you look at Mindat today, they have some excellent photos of the Darwin mine. Like, obviously, everything's still there. Like, they haven't done anything to it. It's a giant, ginormous mine dump. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have 64 valid minerals. I was trying to look up what the valid mineral list was, like, going back in time some. But there are a lot of, a lot of cool minerals uh, found there. I thought the article was pretty well written. I mean... Um, there has a nice little map and it's well described, like what to kind of do yeah. and go there and pick through a mine dump. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, it seemed like maybe it, was a, it seemed like a little bit of a letdown to the author because they didn't realize that they are technically not, well, they're not a, an abandoned mine. And he was like, oh, we tried to get permission for this one, but they wouldn't let us go into it. Seems like. He was all excited for his four-day trip, and they're going, and they're spending these rare four days, and then it's a letdown. But he said there was some nice, there's like a waterfall. So I think I think they rede- he redeemed it, I'm sure. I would love to go down there. Yeah. I would love to. They have a lot, a lot of cool, interesting, rare minerals hmm. found, found down there. Is it abandoned now? Areas of it. Hmm. So... Next field trip. They really... Oh, sorry. No. Next one is a field trip, which they didn't... They really grouped all the similar articles together. There's like field trip, field trip, field yeah. trip. Normally, they're a little more spread out, but here we go. Our final final field trip for well, this article yeah. issue. Well, yeah. Yes. No. No? One more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they did spread the last one out, but these ones they didn't. And what what field trip is this, Going, Sarah? Uh, Palos Verde. Yes. California. Near right Los Angeles. Yep. The search for uh, how do we pronounce this? I don't know. I didn't even Gl- write it down. Co- Glucophane. Glucophane. It doesn't matter because they didn't find it. Yeah. Um. It's just like a 
the cliff by the you walk down a cliff like this so cliff to the ocean. This article was written by the editor of the yes. magazine WRC Schendelhelm. Schendelhelm. I don't know. Just pick away and say. Um, so he went out to the hills out there, and he went in search of this rock, which it's a gray to lavender blue rock. And he didn't find anything. <laughs> but he, he didn't did, find that, he but did, he did he find did, other things. He did find something that he thought was interesting, and uh, he did some identification on it, and then he sent it off to the Los Angeles County Museum of Natural History for their identification, which... I can't imagine anyone doing that now, being like, I got a rock I need to identify. What, are you going to go to the... There's not even a museum here where I would think you could send it to, but it's interesting that that's... He must have had a contact there at the museum, and he knew, like, oh, I'll send it, and this guy has, like, the scales and the hardness kit because they do a specific gravity test and a hardness test my understanding based upon the article is that they were doing hardness in the old school way of like scratching one mineral yeah. on another they, like i don't think hardness picks existed at that point in huh. time the way we do now i mean yeah. you can just be like cool 100 bucks on amazon you have a Mohs hardness test kit mm-hmm. you know um, they're just using other rocks to scratch at it. Yeah, and um, well, it was like a greenish rock that he found, and he was, I think, hoping it would be jade, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. It was a siltstone. Yes, <laughs> but it still looked neat. So I mean, I find it fast. I find it so interesting because if somebody showed that to me and they're like, "Is this jade?" I'd be like, "No, it's definitely not jade." Why would you say that? Because I've looked at a bajillion photos of legitimate jade and... Yeah, but where did you see those photos? Mindat. Yes. Did they have a million photos immediately accessible to them at any second of the day in 1978? No, but they had other things. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just... I guess I, I get sent a lot of photos and... People always have high hopes for them, you know, like nobody wants to be told that like the neat rock that you found is a siltstone or it's um, like a highly metamorphized nice. It's quartz. You know, it's always quartz. (laughs) Primarily, it's always quartz. Nobody wants to hear that. Uh, People want everything to be a super duper special and. You know, like there are so, there are of course super duper special things out there that are found, but generally they're just not emailed to me. So. But also, you could still be like this rock he found was cool looking. It was sure. green. It had like yeah. white lines going through it. Like just because it's not jade doesn't make it unworthy of your adoration. This next article, I thought was. Are you more of a chess player or a checkers player? Mm, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've played either of them. I did get fourth in chess club in first grade. There was four of us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this article, king-sized chess pieces. It contains over 125 ounces of silver and 68 gemstones. But 
before we get started with this article, I would like to point out that 125 ounces of silver in 1978 was about $6 per ounce, which makes the chest set $750 in silver. When you adjust it for the inflation, that's $3,414. Today's price of silver is $19.65 an ounce. So that would make the chess set today have $2,456 of silver. Silver hasn't adjusted for inflation, the price. No. Not at this exact moment. This was a... Kind of a, it was very, it was different than nor, they normally would do. It was a different type of article than we've seen because it wasn't like a profile of a person doing a project. It was this guy, Lloyd, who had a dream to have a this really fancy chess set. So he got people, hired people to make it for him. So like, Okay, it's $3,000 in silver. It had to be tens of thousands of dollars in labor cost. I mean, they meant... So, so, yeah, he had one person doing the design work, one person doing the casting, a person working on the wooden board. Mm -hmm. uh, And it it seems like the the project just became a huge time sink. It's like a money sink. Both, I guess. I mean, it was just like, rich guy has this crazy idea and... Makes it happen was yeah. the article kind of. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, um, it's a really impressive chess set. I mean, obviously, they have someone designing all the pieces. Mm-hmm. They have someone. There'll be photos of it up on the website, currently rockhoney.com slash podcast. Yes. Uh, uh, all the pieces are slightly, they're slightly different, but they have like the same motif. They've all got gemstones in them. It's like what the king has eight gems the queen has seven all the way down to the pawns only have one and the pawns aren't identical but they're like based similar enough so you know they're pawns and the they spent 150 hours on mm-hmm. the wax work for just one of the rooks right so like how many was years did this take where did the chess set end up? Yeah, that's what I... Well, it said in the article he was inspired when he was playing chess with his son. So hopefully his son has it. It's probably at a goodwill. <laughs> I don't know. 125 ounces of silver. <laughs> Somebody's got to recognize the the value in that. I think just like the, the, physical, the physical weight yeah. of picking them up would indicate that they have some type of value i thought it was interesting also that they said the gems were only from arizona Mm -hmm. i don't know if the guy was from arizona but they kind of glossed over that i thought that was interesting too i mean it's a cool thing it's cool but it really is like more of a profile of a project and not like i don't know yeah Yeah, it was was an odd yeah odd, odd direction to go to it yeah um are you a spectator or a working rock hound? Are you unemployed? Do you do it with your eyes closed? Which one are you? Well, good thing I read this article, so now I know. And then, <laughs> this article, are you a spectator or a working rock hound? It was odd and a little wordy. It was a little judgmental. 
Yeah. Because they're like, yes, sure. are you a spectator? Meaning, do you collect rocks and just like put them on a shelf? Mm-hmm. Or are you a working rock hound where you go through the, and then, yeah. They, they definitely draw a distinction and make it out to be like, if you're doing lapidary with the rocks that you're finding, you're better than somebody that is collecting display pieces and specimens. Like you're uh, uh cut above a little bit that's yeah. that's how i kind of read it yeah i mean maybe if they they and they kind of the author talks about their own thing where they're like first i the best thing is you start out with a tumbler and then you i got a trim saw and then i got a lap wheel and then i got a wet grinder and then i got a 10 inch saw and some of them they made and he just talks about all the equipment that he has or he made and i don't know which one are you? I don't I don't do anything. I guess I'm just a spectator. Oh, well, I'm going to look down upon you. It's interesting. Because I'm taller. Oh. Uh, I, I guess I'm, I would say I'm both. I love a specimen. I love just to be able to like collect something, wash it, and you're like, this is cool. Yeah. Um, especially if it looks good in photos. Like, you know, a photo's under the microscope. Like, I... I enjoy that and that can be very technical uh i also like working stuff i love like cutting thunder eggs polishing things i don't think they're one i don't think one's in any way better than the other and for a lot for a lot of people like having a lapidary setup doesn't work like it doesn't fit into your life you you're Mm -hmm. not doing lapidary in your apartment yeah so also he didn't mention I think there's more, if you're going to draw a line between like two camps of people who are into rocks, instead of being like, you do lapidary and you don't, it'd be like, you buy the rocks and you don't. That's not a thing that people like to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't mention that, you know, like you get your tumbler and you get your saws and your equipment, like you get into the lapidary stuff, you're maybe not going out and collecting you're buying the things that you want because you want things that are very specific which is fine but he didn't really i guess he's a working rock hound and that was his experience and he i guess the field trips are the spectators and maybe we'll have a rebuttal next month i don't appreciate the perspective yeah the, like the concept of like buying rocks is inferior to finding rocks or I'm a working rock hound of their like just it, it like who cares who cares what other people do I mean, if you want if some if just having crystals on a shelf make you happy like you have at it you have all the shelves of crystals or you have nine million cabs like that's fine like go knock yourself out like you know, the idea that, like, you're somehow better than the, the, the next person is uh, foolish. Yeah, maybe if opinion. they had come at this topic from more of, like, here was my experience going from just, like, looking at a rock and to mm-hmm. having all this equipment and versus, like, are you this or that? Well, I'm that, and here's why. Or, like, I guess that, I don't know. Why divide people? Bring them together. Yeah, well, that sounds like a loser. Yeah. All right. Well, I have had my fill of shells. 
Um, I, I'm perfectly fine in skipping all future articles about shells. So I'm making a judgy decision here and stating that shells are not a lapidary material. I think it's safe to say a shell is not a rock or a gem. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it fits the technical definition. If we're going to have a rock and gem magazine... And have shells in it. A lot of shells. Why Why not other things? Why not wood? Metal. like Just like steel. We just use like plate yeah. steel in our projects. Mm-hmm. Mild steel. You know, like... How about plaster? Epoxies? Uh, just plastic. Just, Garbage. You know, why don't you just take trash off yeah. the ground? Yeah. I mean, I just... I um, so, There's an article about making shell bolo ties and it's just like basically glue a shell to a yeah, leather that was, string that was it and i'm like no this is not lapidary lapidary you're working with rocks it doesn't even have to be uh a natural rock like there's like man-made things out there now but like you can do what you want i don't think shells belong in this no that's just my opinion. That's not what anybody expects. Maybe that's me with my modern day perspective judging 1978. But I, I would, if there was a woodworking article in here about making a chair, a rocking chair, I'd be like, what? what, what th- this is not fine woodworking magazine. This is rock and gem. Yeah. Like not how to make like a, a U uh, bow. So I'm skipping it. Are you okay skipping this? And there's no content. You glue, we already we already explained it. You glue the shell to the leather rope, and it's a bolo tie. Bolo tie. Yeah. That was it. That was the whole thing. So moving on to the next one. Field trip. Yes. To, is it Cow Cowie? Cowie Valley field trip to Cowie Valley. North Carolina gem digging awaits your probing. This was also kind of a s- odd article, field trip report. So it's a guy who, I mean, it was really informative. There's a map. Map was pretty good. Yeah, and it has numbered of all the places where you can go. Not really dig. It sounds like it's like you're sluicing, you're panning for gems. So it's a lot of feed eggs. Yeah. And some of the materials that you could dig are garnets, kyanite, rubies, sapphires, things like that. And if you're in any way familiar with like the Spokane bar from previous episodes here on the podcast, or you just know of the sapphire mining that takes place out in Montana, you're basically sieving. So there's gravel and you have like a tray with a screen and you tap it, tap, tap, tap with some water and all of the heavies like the sapphires sink to the bottom you flip that tray over and boom you see your sapphires on top now and they have like almost like long tom style sluices that have water going through them Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the the nature of this area and there's still fee digging out there to this Mm -hmm. day and there's still operators out there and you can go and um visit them i think one that they mentioned in here was the called the Cherokee, and the Cherokee is still open today. Huh. So 
Cool. Yeah. I thought I was expecting at the end. So he, they say in the article that they stopped at a bunch of mines, but they didn't pay. They didn't screen at all. They just observed. Like they just looked around and lo- like didn't yeah. do it. I was expecting at the end of the article to be like, buy my book on the guide with all the information, but they they didn't. So I thought it was kind of weird that you would be like, yeah, let's stop at this place and not i guess they had their fill and they just wanted to make sure it exists maybe they want to come back later they they also said that some of the mines had a reputation for salting yeah so like adding material in which that's, that's good right i mean you want to find material yeah i mean are they adding material from their mine or just random that's a good question <laughs> That's a good question. Um, they didn't really elaborate at all. They said they were not told which mines were salting, just that it happened. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, you were on, if we lived in 1978 on the East Coast, that would have been a great guide to take a trip and just yeah. go to all those spots. Uh, and that valley, it's all on the west side of... North Carolina, which North Carolina is very wide oh. and short. So <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out sure. there. Uh, and they also said that there's 18 to 20 feed digs out there, and uh, it looks like there's maybe more like seven now. Hmm. But that was just my quick uh, quick researching. We have one article left. And I, okay, so I actually really like this, and not necessarily for the content of it because it is a portable silversmithing bench i don't do any silversmithing i'm probably never ever going to do any silversmithing but i like the idea of this i it's a very short single page like a little like blurb and a great diagram on how you could build this like little uh like workbench and a drawer and like little uh like table for like cutting out your silver and stuff and do all of the assembly on this and you can take it with you i like the idea of kits i like this that kind of idea you know there's uh something similar that i saw about field identification and it was like a rock and mineral field identification kit from like the 1890s 1880s have like a little microscope, have all these different acids, all this different stuff. And it was all in like a nice little wooden box. And it was, there's something about building a kit Hmm. and having everything in this one little place where you can just like grab it and go that I find appealing. And I I like their, I liked it. I like that about it. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're into silversmithing, that would have been really cool to be like, oh, we're going to take a trip. I'm just going to bring my little like 16 inch by 16 inch like square little thing and it has all my tools and stuff and you can make something when i don't know your kids are swimming down at the pool in the hotel Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of different they don't really have like guides on making your own equipment in that sort of clear sense versus like i use a thing from a washing machine to make my tumbler this was like the actual schematic or blueprint or yeah whatever. i thought it was kind of good yeah. did you have anything else no that was the end well next time 
On the previously Rock Hounding podcast, we will be looking at Rock and Gem magazine from June 1979. Make a jade and opal ring, turquoise trends, shop tips, iris agate, spring rockhound field trips, and pressure casting. Hopefully there's no history lessons in this one. I don't... Nothing's jumping out as being a history lesson, but we'll just have to find out. Next time!